A very warm welcome to Andrew Sullivan, the founder of Asian Market Sense, and Mel Siu, who is a portfolio manager at Muzenich, if I'm saying that right. Am I saying that right, Mel? Muzenich? Muzenich. Muzenich. Okay, that's good. Muzenich and Co. Good morning, gentlemen. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Pleasure to have you on the show. Let's start with our number one headline on US jobs being healthier than expected, which is actually putting dampers on the timing of a rate cut. The markets are pricing in a 65% rate cut for March. Is that the same for Asian markets, do you think, Mel? Do you think we'll be receiving cuts around then? And how will it impact them when the cut does happen? Yes, I think that's right. I think the Asian markets are... are sharing that same view in terms of the rate cut uh, outlook in uh, early early this year and i think you know the jobs report comes off some some of the strong data that we saw in in december so that seemed to get brushed off and um i would point against that you know the ism services survey where the employment component of that was surprisingly weak so the data is is i think a bit mixed i think it's a bit unfair to say it's all all pretty strong and, and, and against the rate cut thesis of, of of march and when the cut comes i think what you'll see is cuts happening very quickly when i looked at the last when you can look at the last three rate rate cut cycles they've been all very very rapid and and you have to understand you have to sort of think what will happen for that cut to, to take place. It'll be because inflation's coming down, you know, a soft soft landing scenario, or it could be a hard landing scenario, right, in terms of the economy Correct. being uh, faring a lot worse than, than, than people expect. So those two scenarios, I think, are very much in play, right? So. Okay. So, Andrew, I have to say our guests in general on the show have been a bit less positive about the timing of rate cuts and how frequent they're going to be through the year. What, what are your thoughts, Andrew? Yeah, I still think that you know the Fed is going to be very data dependent. Uh, we've you know we've got a meeting at the end of this month. I don't think people are expecting any changes there. But you know they have been said you know time and time again that the, the market is being too ambitious. With I think we've lost Andrew there. Andrew, you're back. Sorry, we lost sorry. you for a few seconds. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I, I just think that you know the market's too optimistic. Um, the Fed has been trying to wind back this optimism. Uh, I think it's uh, true that we haven't had inflation in the system for a long time, and people have forgotten how difficult it is to squeeze out those last bits of inflation. And the Fed will be very cautious about uh, about cutting early at, at this stage. How would you rate the, I'm going to be quite controversial here, how would you rate the chance of the rate actually going up again? Zero? Well, I, I, the reality is, you know, the, the, the FOMC board themselves haven't taken that option off the table. So yeah. it, it's still there. As, as I say, they're going to be data dependent and it will really come down to the data, which means that we're going to see a lot of volatility as investors try and reappraise their whole outlook for the year as each piece of data comes through. OK, so Mel, back to you. Can you tell us something about credit versus equity and the impact on that? Yeah, so I think if we look at, you know, China, which is the, the largest economy in our, in our region, you know, there's lots of negative headlines um, and a negative sentiment towards China, which I can kind of understand on the equity side, if you think of, of valuations, risk premiums, uncertainty over, you know, what the free cash flow generation is, especially with companies being asked to participate more in, in the common prosperity goals. 
which is fine on the equity side. But if I look at the, the fixed income side, you know, especially at the short dated maturities, you know, these companies that, that have come to the US dollar market are all very, very strong credit profiles. They have you know, cash on the balance sheet or, or they have support because they are state owned enterprises or and support from state owned banks. And, you know, at the end of the day, you get your money back at par in fixed income. Uh, yeah. So, you know, if you look at, you know, the 10 year track record of Chinese investment grade versus U.S. investment grade, I think people will be surprised when they see that it's actually outperformed. That's there's, very there's less volatility, um, you know, and you can do that for five years, three years and one year as well. You know, so um, it, it holds up pretty well. You know, it's comparable and, and has lower volatility. And I think that just speaks to, um, you know, fixed income as an asset class of equities and the fact that, you know, that, you know the companies that um, are coming to the dollar market are, are, are pretty strong and, and resilient and robust. Let's move on to the kickoff to 2024, which is showing cash may now be king as the new year rings in with record cash inflows, according to Bank of America. How likely do you think this trend will continue and how similar is this in Asia, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, uh, while you've got the uh, the short term rates in the US offering you, you know, four or five percent, then then that's obviously very attractive. But there will a point when they those stop you know renewing on those uh, short-term basis um and people then have to start reappraising okay but in the short term oh, sorry, go on. with the fed where it is i don't think it's going to change yeah sorry you keep cutting in and out andrew so i thought you'd finished anyway mel yes i think you know if you if you look at how people's portfolios have performed over the past couple of years it's been pretty tricky so with the risk-free rate as high as it is it's understandable that there is some reluctance to allocate away from 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 cash. Right? So, but I think once you start seeing the rate cuts come, and and you know if the previous rate hiking, rate cutting cycles have have any relevance to to where we are now, there will be lots of cuts happening in succession. Then I think you'll see the allocation away from cash to to fixed income and longer longer maturity bonds. Yeah. All right, let's move on from cash to the Chinese property sector, where the latest casualty could be the Chongqi Shadow Bank. Mel, how's the property sector impacting the credit markets and where do you see it going? Well, it's um, it's actually going to have a, a smaller and smaller impact. I think, you know, if I look at, you know, mid 2021, which is the start of of the uh, the property uh, sector's woes, you know, it represented about sort of anything between 12 to 15 percent of the Asian credit index, and it was over half of, you know, close to half of the the high yield universe. If I look now, it's about one and a half percent, and it's about six percent of high yield. So it's really a minor minor impact. I mean, we we all follow it because it's a large part of the Chinese economy, and there are related industries that 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 you know drive off how successful the the recovery is, is is going to be but in terms of direct impact on asian credit markets i think it should have have a pretty minimal minimal impact going forward i mean it's uh you know people should have cleaned up their portfolios i think and and, and know know what they, they own now after you know two and a half years of of uh the, the sector's woes yeah two and a half years of warnings. How else could the Chongqing Shadow Bank going bankrupt impact things other than the credit markets? 
worried. In overall, in China, I think it's it's a confidence thing, right? So so you know there are investors who are invested in uh, these these trust trust products. Um, although in Zhongzhi's case, it, it seems to be higher higher wealth um, uh, individuals or, or corporations. Uh, and so you know once you get a confidence in the financial system, you, you need to you need to sort of support the system and you need to break that up, right? So uh, I think that's that's the, the challenge. But it's been the challenge for the past uh, year and a half, I think, in terms of getting getting the confidence. You're seeing people spending on smaller ticket items, yeah. you know, in in leisure and in travel, but they're not spending on the big ticket items. So, yeah, property is is one that that historically we've seen, you know, stimulus, but they don't they don't want to to use that policy tool this time. But they have used the stimulus in terms of you know the the auto sector, which is another popular way that they, they stimulate consumption. Um, but it's okay. it's really really that, you know, the confidence channel, I would say. Okay, Andrew, how do you see the Chongqi Shadow Bank potentially being bankrupt and that possibly spiraling to other areas of the shadow banking sector? How could that impact the mainland China economy? I think Mel's right. I think it's it's very much this this wide you know consumer confidence issue, uh, and as he mentioned, I mean this bank was primarily richer individuals, so the the party won't be so worried about that. It will just highlight the fact that you know there is a risk in investing in markets, and it's going to allow people to take that risk. What it's really worried about, though, is to make sure that you know people, ordinary consumers, don't get impacted by that, and that there isn't a run on to other smaller regional banks. And we've already seen the PBOC. You know, putting more money into those regional banks and pushing them for more mergers. And I think we're going to see that trend continue. Okay. Um, here's an interesting question for you, Mel, because I know you're a, a credit expert. Now, we should be talking yeah. more about Chinese investment grade corporate credit as Chinese investment grade has beaten the US investment grade credit in 2024. Tell me more, Mel. Yes, yeah, so, I mean that was just what I was referencing before in terms of the you know the, you look at the ten year track record and, and Chinese investment grade bonds I think have will, will, will surprise people when they see that they've outperformed U.S. investment grade and then if I sort of look forward you know they are shorter duration so so you know when everyone's um, nervous or, or unsure about the rates environment shorter duration bonds are less volatile. Um, and you know, the companies are all very strongly capitalized or have state support. And then also what we have in, in the Asian markets, because the, the onshore funding environment is so strong and the dollar environment is, is so so high, is, is we're not seeing any supply. So you get this very strong technical impact where, where there's just no new bonds coming to the market, no new issuers coming to issue bonds. Whereas you look at the U.S. market, I think they printed over $50 billion worth of investment grade bonds last week Mel, I've whereas got... in asia it was it was six billion yeah so and that was none of that was in china so um 10 seconds what's your investment strategy this year first mel then going on to andrew so i mean we're constructive in 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 asia we like you know india we like selected parts of uh chinese sectors and uh and we are constructive on duration although you know aren't maxing out um the long end yet andrew yeah, I think uh, India is obviously a key for a lot of people. And again, Japan, I think there's going to be a lot of interest there as the year goes on. Thank you, gentlemen, very much. That's Andrew Sullivan, founder of Asian Market Sense, and Mel Siu um, from Usenic and Company.